Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We have watched episodes four and five of Frontier in Space. And we've eaten sushi. I'm so full of sushi and excitement for Doctor Who. Me too. I'm a little bit tired now because of the sushi, so we're, yep. we've switched the, the tables a little bit here. Often you're sleeping when we do these, so. Yeah, but I am also sleepy okay. from eating so much. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long-awaited episode of Sleepy Doctor Who. Yep. Mm-hmm. It is at 4.34 in the afternoon mm-hmm. local time as we record this. But yes, all sorts of space opera shenanigans happen in this story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting exciting. We, you know, we still don't... Like, the, the master drops a hint about his employers, but mm-hmm. we don't ha- know who that is. And I love his... Is like when when Joe says, the, "You mean the Ogrons?" and he just, "Oh no, I employ the Ogrons." Mm-hmm. It's a very good master story, I think, just in terms of his his interaction with Joe and the Doctor, and then getting locked up with Joe and the Doctor, mm-hmm. and then his snippety interactions with the Ogron captain that he loses his temper with for a second. Oh, just but, hilarious! But we are a course for us. Well, naturally, because we're falling. Ah. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Uh, and then him trying to hypnotize Joe at the end and mm-hmm. how I just I think it's delightful that, you know, being hypnotized by the master probably really, really sucked and messed with her mind a little bit. So, of course, the doctor is going to teach her some some <clears throat> techniques to mm-hmm. keep that from happening again. And she employs it very well. And then, you know, the master, once again, he's all annoyed because it's, it's not working. It's just Yeah, this is I, I think specifically these two episodes are some of the best Joe doctor master interactions that I have seen in all of Doctor Who. Yeah. I, I like the, I mean, th- it's this and Colony in Space, really, the only two Master stories that are not set on Earth. Uh, and it's it's fun to see him out in the universe and not sort of tied to unit trying to get him down either. Like, this is just, you know, the Master out in space tricking other governments into uh, making, you know, releasing prisoners and everything else. And, you know, this is this is the Master on a grand scale. It's kind of fun to see him. Although he still is messing with Earth here. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's messing with Earth. But, you know, not parochial Earth. Okay. This is like Earth Empire Earth, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's see here. What else happened in these two episodes? Um, lots of lots of space shipping. Um, they got a whole bunch of these, um, the model spaceships from, like, Jerry Anderson's um, clearance sale, <laughs> basically, from uh, from background ships used in, uh, in Jerry Anderson shows in the early 70s. So... That's that's how they saved some money on, you know, there's a bit of a space walk sequence of the doctor getting stuck out in space with uh, with Joe rattling on to sort of keep everyone distracted. That was another amazing Joe sequence uh, and, and the doctor at first because, you know, he's got the, the metal saw thing and, you know, he's just telling anecdote after anecdote as he's sitting there and then sawing through and then very cleverly, like the, the writing on this story is very good, mm. you know, talking about how he's cutting through red tape and yeah. Joe's like, oh, did you manage to cut through? Yes, I cut through. And now I would, something about standing in between me and my, you know, to, to tell Joe to stand up in between him and the camera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very clever. I didn't get that actually, the, the standing, ah, well done, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that the first no. time I watched it, but I, I totally got it this time because when he says stand he kind of like does just like tiniest little thing with his head and so and joe kind of does too and then mm. she gets up and she turns and then she just rattles along and i think it's hilarious like it's so good the way that she is just you know talking 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 it's just this is joe using one of her own 
actual superpowers Mm -hmm. like her ability to just you know be cheerful and that around and then by the end i think it's really funny that she's talking like she's basically moved on to well you know it's just the master he's clearly won this time he's got us and blah 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 and i'm thinking this is a really really extra funny scene because of the fact that if the master was actually as clever and as smart as he thought he was he would recognize that joe would never say any of that nonsense Mm -hmm. and he would be on to them at that moment but no he is so egomaniac egomaniacal yeah. that he just like he just mm, yep yep okay this and this all of this checks out and uh and yeah and it's not until joe is pretty sure that the doctor is sol that she slows down and is very sad and that's what sort of you know the, the jig is up if she would have maybe had a little bit more faith in the doctor being able to figure something out she mm-hmm. could have kept just rattling on and then the master excuse me would never have ginger ale yeah it would never have shown up sorry um uh-huh. and uh and yeah so i i just i think that that was a that whole sequence is wonderful and i mean the doctor getting you know he's he's very clever he uses the oxygen in his tank to get himself back but that's what that's like every single person who is lost on a spacewalk uses the oxygen from their tank to get you know yep. back to where they need to go it's great. Great fun adventure. And uh, a lot of that dialogue apparently was improvised by Katie Manning herself. I believe it because it just felt so natural and so Joe. And like having seen Katie Manning in person, uh, talk to her in person, in person, yeah. and then also seen her on stage talking to other people in, in person. It's just like that is she there's so much of herself in Joe and so much of Joe, I think, in herself. And mm-hmm. it's just it was. Yeah, it's delightful. Yeah, she's naturally scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> as she says herself and others who knew her which is why she got the role in the first place mm-hmm. you know yep. yeah i think you can tell because she, she she's sort of going on and then the master's line of thank you miss grant will let you know is kind of like it it doesn't feel like it matches in there you know because katie is just sort of going and going going and going mm-hmm. yep um i like spaceships uh lots of spaceships lots of space travel um we see the draconian empire on the draconian homeworld. Mm-hmm. Where females are forbidden to speak. Yeah, annoying. But I do I do appreciate that the on both sides we have, you know, the president of Earth who is pretty level headed and does not want a war because she cares about, you know, her entire people. And same thing on the other side. We have the Emperor of the Draconians who is pretty level headed and does not want a war because Uh he cares about his people and like yeah, I don't love the fact that women aren't allowed to to talk, uh their throne room we never even see any women um but uh but then he says you know we we're going to respect the customs of our guests as strange as they may be or whatever Mm -hmm. you know they're learning a little bit here and there Mm -hmm. you know um i was gonna say something else there and i forgot what it was um it's john woodnut he is there in his second of four doctor who appearances plays the draconian emperor Mm -hmm. played hibbert and spirit from space I don't remember that. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here for. I'm not We also noticed in the credits that we had some all star O'Grounds. Yeah, uh I I should have listened because you would never uh mistake Stephen Thorne's voice anytime because he was in he's Omega and he was Azal in, in the Demons and he's cast as a lowly ogre on here. It just as Michael Gilgareff, who was last seen in costume as the cyber controller in the Tomb of the Cybermen. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, two all-star Ogron extras, essentially. Because I think it's Rick Lester who's usually the uh, the main one. But yeah, Neat. Yep. Sometimes people were cast for their height. Both of them were tall. Yep. That happened in the Ice Warriors, too. It did happen in the Ice Warriors, too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what else happened in these two episodes? I'm trying to think here as we, um, in our sushi-addled brains. <laughs> um, well, you had the, you know, the, the master looks like his plan is, is going to succeed, but then he goes into draconian territory and then they board his ship and and you know he's so his his plan is foiled and then he turns over to go to sleep and has a blinking light that calls in his ground pals who then attack the planet when they get there and i do appreciate like it's 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 hilarious to me that yeah they left they left one behind and that ruins everything ogrons can't be trusted i do like that uh you know when when they leave the ogre behind the the draconian emperor sees the earth man there and then the doctor says nope the, the sounds has appeared look again and he goes oh it's actually uh, um an ogron and then he, and then he says stop you know he speaks the truth and like after like four and a half episodes finally somebody believes the doctor when he's telling him the tale and then from here on in it's it's the doctor is involved and, and is trusted yep well as i as i mentioned when you first said that the old fellow on the moon did believe him, yes. but he had no power to actually do anything except, you know, possibly help the doctor escape, which didn't end up working. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so now somebody in a position of power actually trusts him and believes him. So like, that's, that's a good thing. But because they then lose the Ogron to the master's machinations, they don't have the proof when they get to earth. Oops. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and then they go to earth though. And I do like that they finally have it out. We finally learn uh, why General Williams is as standoffish as he is towards draconians because he thought they were starting a war 20-odd years ago, but it was, in fact, he who messed it up. He started the war. This is this is that Babylon 5 episode that, uh, uh, well, not just one episode, but that I keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. In, uh, previous to the events that happened in Babylon 5, there was a war between the uh, the Mimbari and um, Earth, right. and the Earthers. And the reason that that war happened is the Mim- right. Mimbari ships were approaching Earth with their gun ports open, which is the Mimbari custom to say, we come in peace. See, oh. we have our gun ports, we have our gun port, gun ports open we are showing you we're coming to you with open hands Mm -hmm. basically showing you that we're not shooting whereas earthers saw that as (laughs) oh no they have their gun ports open they're probably going to shoot at us and then michael york um who was one of the uh one of the gunners like saw that and freaked out and started shooting and then that started a war that went on for like 10 years and killed many many thousands millions of uh of people mostly earthers because the mimbari were way overpowered so anyway this is the same sort of of trope like misunderstandings between societies that lead to war uh and you know like i said in our very first episode about this story i couldn't remember i wasn't sure what the general's deal was Mm -hmm. if he was a baddie if he was you know what it was and i really like that it was just that he really felt strongly had the courage of his convictions but was actually just mistaken. Right. And when he recognized the truth was, you know, dutifully contrite about it. And he wants to, you know, this is like, this is not a faux apology. He actually mm. wants to make up for it. He's yeah. taking action. He's going on the mission because he, you know, he needs to do something to make up for the mistake that he made. He's a man of honor. Yeah. This is not a hockey player who said something nasty on the ice and then just gives you some kind of mealy mouth apology and then never actually does anything helpful. He's taking action to right the wrongs that Mm. he did. 
It's kind of nice. It's a nice moment when the two emperors come together. It's you know, it's just like oh, they averted war because of this. Oh, that's awfully nice. I was gonna, you know, um, I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke about open hand. Basically, it says you know, we come, with, we come in peace. Whereas the other side would say they're gonna slap us. We better hit them because you know the open palm and stuff like that. Yep. I wonder if JMS uh, in watching that uh, uh, ripped off Doctor Who Frontier in Space blatantly when he wrote Babylon Five. All those years ago. Well, we know he's a big Doctor Who fan, so I mean, that's true. He, I'm not going to say he ripped it off, but there it, certainly it, there's a possibility that that you know sort of stuck in his mind, and either consciously or subconsciously, he you know had a bit of an homage to that sort of misunderstanding. It's you know these are not the only two properties, science fictional or not, that have that same sort of trope in no. them. No, I'm just I'm thinking of. Uh, Goodness me, around the same time, um, Bloody Sunday, uh, January 30th, 1972, where um, several uh, Irish peaceful protesters, Northern Irish, uh, were shot on Bloody Sunday by mm-hmm. British, you know, and they thought that they were, oh, we were, they were going to shoot us or something like that. So that's why we had open fire and stuff. And of course they didn't. Mm-hmm. And that basically ignited the troubles for 20 odd years because of that Under- misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. Tell you dangerous things in real life and in fiction, mm-hmm. mm. but um, but they're off to the uh, the Ogron's um, um, quarry planet <laughs> in uh, Joe Grant's fancy boots. Yep, yep. They, <laughs> he's like, we must, you know, we must find the the Ogron planet if it exists or whatever. And then cut to the Ogron planet, and I was immediately like, oh, the Ogrons live in a quarry. I mean, you kind of expect them to, you know, it'd be funny if they lived in like this lush green village or something like that. But no, they live in a bunker underneath a quarry. Mm-hmm. Where, with a perfectly sized TARDIS niche. I know. I wonder if uh, the master actually says, you know what? I think I'd like to have the TARDIS right. The get get your fellows to hammer out a nice little uh-huh. alcove there for it. And we can put the TARDIS in there. Can he, and set up a light. I want to make a dramatic reveal. These are all things that the master probably plans out well in advance so he can thoroughly impress his prisoners. I wouldn't put it past him. I would absolutely not put it past him. That headcanon accepted for sure. Yeah. It's kind of like at the end of the Timeless Children where when people were saying, oh, that looks ridiculous, ridiculous Cybermen with like Time Lord collars and on things. Have you seen the master? Have you met him in the TV movie? Mm-hmm. Like he is as camp and over the top as anyone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it all starts in places like this. Yep. Yeah. Style. Very, very important right? to him. Yep. Yeah. He's got style. Well, anything else from these two episodes? Um, um, apart from that, we really enjoyed them. I just adore this story. I love it when Doctor Who does big space epics. And this isn't really often a, um, you know, it's not an oft-repeated thing. We don't do as many space epics as we should in Doctor Who, damn it. And yeah. I like it when we do. We need to do that more in the, in the in the modern series, I think. Here, here. We need to find who is our modern uh, modern day... Malcolm Hulk. Hmm. Yeah, we like. I'm not saying we have one yet. I'm saying we don't have oh, one I yet, see. and we need to find her or him or them. them but yeah. I, I think it would be a. I, I don't know. I feel like a. I would love. I would love to see a woman taking on the big old space opera. I agree. It's time we do that again, mm-hmm. Doctor Who. They have in little bits in here and there, you know. Like I think Flux had a bit of space opera to it, I suppose, but. Mm-hmm. There's there's almost something to be said about 
space operas should be should slightly exceed the budget that is allotted to them, and that's what makes them all the more because mm-hmm. then you can sort of make them <laughs> not quite taking itself too seriously and stuff. So, so we need to make a cheaper space opera in the RTD era, I think. Yeah, I want. Emily Andrus. <laughs> there we go. Sure. Please, please hire. I mean, I know she does her own shows and stuff, but that would nope, be amazing if she could anymore. write. If she could She's write like Doctor a, Who now. If she could write like a two-part uh, Doctor Who epic. Yeah. Maybe a three-parter. Maybe a three-parter. Maybe a season-long space war <laughs> Doctor Who epic. God, that'd be mm-hmm. great. Well, I'm gonna watch Babylon Five now. I think uh, now that you mention it, we have it on iTunes. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, with the whole thing. That's right. Yep. It's a good show. Yeah, and proper uh, proper effects and uh, four by three, which is going to be strange because I only ever watched it sixteen by nine. Oh, it's so wrong. Yeah, poor poor Stephen. Yeah, but then the effect sequences came on and they were like <laughs> really bad quality. Anyway, that's long. So listen to the audio guide to Babylon Five if you want to know more about that and my uh, thoughts through the Babylon Five journey that I went that you're going on here in the Doctor Who journey as we ro- reach the end of our Victoria Day marathon. Uh, our next episode, uh, and probably the last episode of the day, will be episode six of Frontier in Space. It will indeed. Yes. A.K.A. Doctor Who in the Space War, as novelized by Malcolm Hulk back in the day. Ah, epic title. Isn't it, though? Space War. <laughs> or, if you will, Star Wars. Except that there's not a war. It's like the uh, uh, the avoision of the Space War. The, did you say avoision? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's actually that's a war. That's not a war. <laughs> that's Kent Brockman said avoision once. <laughs> I said, I know evasion, I say avoision. Mm-hmm. Avoision of what? <laughs> You've been watching too many screwball comedies from the I, 1940s. <laughs> I made up a word in one of these earlier ones too, didn't I say? Up, no. uh, it wasn't upstanding, it was up, start up. What was it? Upright. It, it wasn't uprising either. It was up. What was it now? I don't remember. I don't remember either. Who knows what uh, f- uh, new words will be invented uh, during the last episode of this day-long Doctor Who marathon. Who knows how much more sushi will be eaten, how much more Canada Dry ginger ale diet or other eyes will be drunk. I ate all my sushi. You're the only one with leftovers. I have a little bit left, which I'm going to save for after episode six, so... Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to watching the end of this, uh, and in a way, I'm not because it'll be end of the frontier in space. So, uh, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>